the gray is a time period that they're in that betwixt and between of dying. So for somebody who's already died to be in the gray, chances are they had some kind of cognitive problem at the end of death, whether it was, you know, dementia or whether um, my guide, Adam, he died from malaria. So he was hallucinating at the end of his life before he crossed over and he um, didn't know he was dead for a short amount of time until his grandfather came to get him. Right, okay. Okay, so that's an example of being in the gray at death. But most people who are in the gray, it's when they are actively dying. And the way that spirits describe it is very similar to when to pregnancy. It looks different, but like when we are, you know, when somebody's pregnant, we are expecting another human being to come into our world and we have physical signs that show us that this is happening. And when someone's in the gray, there is also physical signs that they are getting ready to pass because they become more tangible in the spirit world, which means right. that they have more presence in the spirit world. Welcome to the Spirit Box podcast, where we explore folklore, magic, the world of the spirits, and everything in between. Today, we're joined by Sally Crow. Sally Crow is a natural psychic medium who weaves the tradition of her Irish traveller and Blackfoot heritage with modern magical techniques. For more than 30 years, she has worked as a spirit channel, seer and intuitive healer, offering readings and teaching workshops throughout the United States and internationally. She's the author of several books and today we'll be discussing her latest book, Spirit Speaker, a medium's guide to death and dying. In this compassionate and straightforward guide to the spiritual process of dying and what happens after death, Sally Crow answers the most common questions asked by her clients over her decades of work as a spirit speaker. In doing so, she's seeking to normalize the spiritual aspects of end-of-life care. She explains how active dying exists outside normal reality, in a state in which the dying person and their caregivers often experience a heightened state of consciousness, describing how the spirit is separate from the body and continues to exist after death. She shares thought-provoking stories of spirit contact and synchronicities that occurred for those actively involved in the dying process. She reveals how these encounters are common and act as guideposts along the journey into death and helping to ease the transition. She also offers simple techniques, helping loved ones who are stuck or struggling to cross over, and shares practices designed to help honor our beloved dead and develop living relationships with our ancestral spirits. Sally Crow really gives a fantastic outline of what may be experienced during the dying process and beyond. And she explores the time when a soul is actively dying or recently departed in a period which, which she which is known as the grey. And she explains the ways which multiple, uh, multiple ways which spirits will communicate with us and provide deep understanding uh, with signs and symbols and, and what have you. And she doesn't shy away from difficult subjects and challenging situations like, like death and, and unresolved issues with the, with the dead. It's, it's a really, really good work and I'm really pleased to have uh, her on the show uh, today. There's a lot we're going to go through. And in the plus show, we get into the subject of things like body locks, which keep people stuck in their bodies when dying. And um, Sally Crow takes us through 
a very moving account of being with her close friend during their assisted suicide. We go through the importance of a practical approach to the spirit world and the state of mind that is most conducive to spirit communication. And Sally Crow takes us through the many ways in which the beloved dead can communicate with us and visit us from time to time. And we wrap up discussing how there has been a spike in people having psychic experiences and how Spirit Speaker came out as a way to address this and respond to that spike and help people navigate these experiences in a very practical way. It's good stuff. I think you're going to enjoy it. If you want to hear the Plus Show, very simple to do so. Simply follow me on Patreon and help support the show. Not only that, you'll get the full extended version of this show with all the back catalogue and all the bonus um, content that's there. Recently, I've been doing a series on Flectures on the Gin, um, which is really good stuff. It's all um, revisiting some of my, my earlier work when this podcast started. A lot more in depth, as I've learned an awful lot over the last three years in my research. We're also looking at uh, how we engage with the spirits of place through a series of work that we're calling Spirit Garden. Um, so if that sounds like something you're interested in, then clicky-linky and, and come and join the fam. Right, let's get on with the show. Okay, cool. Well, uh, Sally Crow, you're very welcome to the Spirit Box. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, so to, to get the show... Um, kind of uh, on the road and get people orientated. Could you give um, the audience just kind of a, a brief overview of, of you and, and your work? Sure. Um, I am a psychic medium and I have been aware of my gifts since I was a young child. My great grandmother was my first teacher. I've been reading um, into people's lives you know, precognitive readings since I was about 18. And I've been doing spirit communication for people since I was about 30. I I'm 52 now and I have my Reiki masters in six schools of Reiki. I have been a set vocal toning sound healer for 20 years. I've written three books. I'm a druid and a witch, and I run a educational and wellness center in St. Johnsbury, Vermont in the United States. Um, so I'm a prolific teacher. Fantastic. Well, you're, you're very welcome to the show. Um, it's really nice to have you uh, with us. Um, so your new title your 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 new book uh, you mentioned you're an author and you you're uh, got a, a recent uh, publication or is it about to be published right or or is it out it, no it was it's out it came yeah. out april 4th right um <clears throat> is it it's about your experiences as as a medium and um your the kind of different strata of your experience and your knowledge and you kind of build that picture out um when did it come to you that the time was right to to write this book what what kind of what kind of motivated motivated you what was the impetus i actually wrote i have a book that came out last may that was 570 pages it's called the path elemental witchcraft and 
I wrote spirit speaker without anybody knowing, like I handed it in finished, um, in a short amount of time because it was in many ways, it's only a hundred pages, which feels really small after writing such a big book. Um, but it was answering all the questions that I answer for my clients regularly because I see clients and I was answering questions that families often ask me, like what happens when somebody dies, what happens when they've just crossed over, what happens um, in the process of dying. Um, I try to point out that I am a healer. That's my the way that I go into being a medium. So I always say, like, you're not going to find me doing a guided house tour of a haunted house. I'm more likely to work with families who are grieving and, you know, bring them connection and clarity. So um, this was meant to be a guide for everybody. So while there is some tips in there for people who might be opening up to spirit communication themselves, there is plenty of of that it was primarily written for everyone because my clients are everyday people like police officers and nurses and old ladies and bank tellers and um and everybody has questions about death and dying and so this book was meant to answer the most commonly asked questions that i get um fantastic and you mentioned that um you first started to learn um or or kind of work with i guess your your innate ability through your through your grandmother um yes. so i've I've got kind of two questions uh around that one is that something that comes down through your your maternal line through your ancestry um and two was there anything you say that was quite unique in, in that being, being being tutored by a, a you know um Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a matriarch or a matriarchal figure um that would be kind of different from people learning kind of from from, from books sure. sure um first of all it was my great-grandmother my father was raised by his his grandmother so she was 71 years old when i was born and um my parents were hippies my dad was just out of vietnam and my mom was a teenager. And so while they raised me and, you know, fed me and clothed me and loved me, my grandmother was a huge influence in my life. And we spent a lot of time there. I say we because I have a sister who's a year and a half younger than me. And we both have um, psychic abilities. And my great grandmother also had psychic abilities. People used to go to see her. And she was half Irish traveler and half Blackfoot Native American. And both of her parents had gifts. So she had the teaching of both of her parents. And when you're, when you have natural psychic ability, especially if you're adept at it, you know how to use it, you have some skill, you can see when somebody else has psychic ability. So, and she actually was told when my mother was pregnant with me, by one of my spirit guides that I was going to be a medium. So she, from a very young age, would say things to me like, um, dead people talk to you, Sally, it's okay. Or sometimes you know things, Sally, it's okay. And her teaching was mostly done through games. 
Um, you know, I, I'm a really good rummy player, for example, you know, like I can win by many, many points because I know exactly when to like lift my hand. Even when I was a kid, I used to think she was cheating and letting me win, but, um, <laughs> it's really just me. Um, so that was a big part of it. And she, I say that she was a hillbilly, you know, she lived in rural New Hampshire in the Northeast, um, northeastern part of new england in the united states and she was born in 1900 so she was you know she lived very close to the land and at the time everybody in my town knew who my grandmother was they all called her Graham. they all visited her house from time to time um but she unlike me who can be like on this podcast or writing books she had to do what she was doing under the guise of selling worms or that people came because they liked her cooking. So there was always kind of like the real reason somebody was coming and then what you showed people. So my upbringing was one in that I really, it wasn't until I was in school that I realized that other people didn't necessarily understand the world the same way that I did. I, I can I can imagine and and what was that experience like you know when when you kind of realized that you were experiencing a different reality to the people you know to be quite honest um I've always had an easy time getting along with people I'm super yeah. talkative and social so I never felt weird about it I just know that when teachers started talking about people having imaginary friends that I just assumed that she wasn't talking to me because my my people that I could see my grandmother could see my sister could see you know so for me I knew they weren't imaginary and I trusted my grandmother and my sister's opinion more than I trusted you know what somebody else would have but um I didn't find that it was you know like New England, Northern New England is a pretty liberal area for the most part. So there wasn't, I didn't really experience, like I wasn't born in the Southern part of the United States. That's very religious where I would have been like ostracized. Yeah. And I didn't really always talk about, you know, what I was experiencing to people who wouldn't understand it. There was just kind of this understanding that you didn't have to. Right. Right. And, and in terms of like how you experience um, engaging with spirits or, you know, as you said, kind of like, so you know, things, uh, mm -hmm. what, what, what is that like? I mean, is that like, is it like watching a movie or is it just something kind of, you know, does a spirit appear in front of you or do you hear it? How, how does it, how does it, how does it manifest for you? Um, so first of all, my first book, which was called Jump Girl, The Initiation and Art of a Spirit Speaker, um, was a memoir of growing up psychic and of the major opening I had when I was 30. So I, when I was younger, I would see them. If there was a haunted house, I would definitely be the person who's having an experience. If somebody pulled out a Ouija board, the spirits wanted to talk to me. Mm. I could see them. I could hear them. I lived in a haunted house when I was a kid. I talked about that. Um, when I was 30, I had a major opening. Like, I mean, half my book was really about that opening. And I um, had a team of spirits. It was basically, it was already a planned thing. 
like that at that age, I would be ready for this. And so I learned a lot of lessons and my ability went from like 10 to a hundred in a really short amount of time. Um, I've been married to my partner for 30 years. Um, so I had a really solid partner, which I'm very thankful for who knew that I wasn't crazy. Um, and I did have to make a house call or have my Reiki master make a house call to me at one point, because I just wanted him to come and tell me I I wasn't crazy because I was experiencing so much, but I'm a multi sensory medium, which means I can hear, I can see, I see in my mind, I can feel them. Um, they talk directly to me. Um, which is one of the reasons why I teach spirit communication, because whatever way my student is experiencing spirit, I can experience it that way too. So I can be like, okay, you're getting music. Mm. You know, I can hear that this is how you're experiencing this. Um, So it's been, yeah, it's, it's, so I will see an outline of a spirit, you know, kind of like that shadow image of you will with my, visual eyes but at the same time inside of my mind i might be getting the details of it Mm. Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i found in my 20 years of working as a spirit medium for people is that introverts and extroverts communicate differently so if you're introverted in life that's actually part of how your soul processes things you're extroverted same thing. And so extroverted spirits are the ones who have more of a tendency to talk. And if they're speaking to me, I will get direct nuances. I'll know how they said their words. I might be able to pick up on their body posture. I will say things in the same manner that they said it in because I'm just listening to them talk to me and I'm repeating it. Um, with an introvert though, they are more likely to show images and emotions. So I say it's more like a sophisticated game of charades. Right. Okay. So when a person is going to see a spirit medium, one of the things that may happen is they might be at a gallery and somebody else got this really amazing message. And then you get a message and it's not as good or not as clear. And you're like, what's going on here? And it's because it's not just the skill of the medium. It's also the skill of the spirit that's communicating. So like if your dad really struggled with communicating in life, he's not going to be the best spirit at communicating either. Someone like me who talks very easily would be a very good communicator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that that makes sense. Um, one one of the things I found really interesting uh, about your 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 book, um, Spirit Speaker, is that that it 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 particularly went out to address kind of human practical concerns about death. You know, um, which I thought was great. You know, um, I mean, you probably guessed from my line of questioning. Like they're fairly practical questions, you know, what does it look like? What does it sound like? How did it happen? You know, um, which I think is really important, you know, um, because that's the way most of us interpret things, you know, Um, and and I thought you did a great job of that in the book of of painting that, you know, a very nuanced subject, but painting it in a way that was very accessible. Um, And obviously death is, is, is a hugely uh sensitive delicate troublesome completely natural um but 
you know part of life that we we all uh, will experience indirectly through those we love and and eventually ourselves. Um, so I, I I found that really uh, really interesting. And, and and one of the areas in particular, you know, you, you, like you for example, you talked about things like like suicide, you know, um, and one of the one of the the nuances there you talked about kind of being partially responsible kind of yeah. for your own death and your own situation could you talk to that sure um first of all i'd like to say that you know i refer to it as partially responsible because whether it's suicide overdose or dying of cirrhosis of the liver because you drank yourself to death um, you're still partially responsible for your own passing. And we have so much fear around that when it's happened to a family member, because, you know, religion has brought us to believe that that person's soul is damned, that they're going to be like burning in eternity. And um, first of all, I like to say that one of the things that I was, you know, reminded of maybe a month or so ago um, is that I really like to say death by suicide instead of committed suicide, because even saying committed means that we're making it sound like a crime, you know, like and technically it is. It's a crime to try to commit suicide as a crime. And when somebody's at that point, they are already in hell, by my opinion, you know. So I talk about um, our emotions a lot. And if we had our emotions set on a dial, like a volume dial on a stereo, mo zero to 10, most people go through life with their emotions set at about a three or a four. A person who is struggling with anxiety, depression, mental illness is most likely going to have their emotions set at about an eight or a nine. So if we imagine that volume like that stereo it means that they're literally 24 hours a day kind of like drowning in their emotions and that you know when we die our emotions get turned down to about a two now that person who's partially responsible for their own passing goes into something that i refer to as time out and i think of it like the timeout chair you know like if you have a kid the kid's being naughty you might sit them in the timeout chair so that they can see how their actions affected themselves and other people. And that's the same kind of thing that happens when we have a lot of trauma around our death, especially if we have responsibility for it, or if we go to our death where we were just really horrible to other people and we died with a lot of unprocessed guilt and we're going to have to look at those experiences, but we do so with the volume turned down. So in many ways, it feels more like the difference between being directly in something and watching something on television. When we watch something on television, we still have an emotional response to it, but it doesn't drown us. You know, it's not going to submerge us in our emotions. Yeah, that that's really interesting. You know, uh, and and there's a lot of, I guess, you know. A, a lot of folklore and, and um global religions that 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 have a similar kind of life review 
um, yes. scenario uh, after death. Um, you know, the weighing of the heart against feather. Yeah. Kind of yep. Egyptian. Um, uh, and in terms of how, how that's experienced, you're saying that the individual individual soul is witnessing their life review you know mm-hmm. but not necessarily experiencing the full impact of the emotions that they would have had as a living being true but they get a fuller picture so well, like for example if you know you had a lot of trauma behind mm-hmm. between you and a parent maybe your dad was a bully and you only had your feelings of it when you die you get to see that Maybe your dad hated himself for what he did. Maybe your dad, um, you get to see your dad's story and how he got to the point where he was that Mm -hmm. person, you know? So it's, it is a review with a volume turned down on our emotions, but we also get to kind of like, it is more like watching a movie because when we're watching a movie, we get to see what's happening over here and we know really going on. But when we're living life, we only have it from the perspective that we see and experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and pulling the thread a little on, on kind of the idea of of time out. Um, I was in, actually initially when you mentioned that kind of like like a naughty child put on time out. I was like, not with my savages. That's <laughs> they're they're immune. They're immune to that. They're immune to it. Yeah. <laughs> is that all you got old man is that all you got (laughs) well the thing is is that you know in the spirit world you can kind of be locked there yeah dad might not be able to do that you know what i mean yeah yeah um so they don't get to like jump out of the timeout chair just because they've lost their stuff um and in that kind of that that idea of of timeout again is i mean if, if if we were to look at it almost like a like an air from a i mean i guess a catholic perspective is a is a kind of like a purgatory you know yeah yeah Yeah, kind of like purgatory and when a spirit is in time out like when i first started doing spirit communication my spirits i remember that they told me that i shouldn't talk to or i had to that i shouldn't really always talk to people who had committed suicide Mm. and this was when it was early um in my starting to work with the public and it wasn't like everybody, but sometimes they'd be like, it's not wise for you to do that. And mm-hmm. I used to think it was because it was dangerous to me, the medium, that they'd become attached to me right. or to my energy. But what it really was is that when somebody is in contact with a medium, when a spirit is in contact with a medium, the volume gets turned back up again to almost being the right. same as when you're alive. Okay. It's That's why people who are natural mediums who have no training you know, they're the ones who have the most spirit activity hang around, happen around them in a haunted house, any place. When I was a kid, any place there was a spirit, if I was there, it was me they wanted the attention of. OK, and that's because a person who's a natural medium is a more open channel and spirits need an energy source in order to connect more deeply with this world. And the two energy sources that they really use are the earth's energy so ley lines vortexes those kind of things that's why more people have experiences at sacred sites than they do other places because it has to do with the energy that's on that particular piece of land and the other thing is a human who is and has natural ability as a medium if you have a haunted house 
and no one living in the house has any ability as a medium and it's not sitting on a ley line, then nobody's going to experience anything. But if you move one medium into that house, everybody can have experiences because now the spirits are using the energy of the medium to make things happen. That's really interesting because uh, you've just you've just kind of jogged my memory. I um I lived in a in a in a shared house in London, oh about twenty years ago, and um. Uh, one of my flatmates, her her boyfriend moved in, and and he was, he was always seeing stuff, you know, um, and I don't think he would have wouldn't have described himself as a medium, but um, yeah, he he was always seeing stuff. Like he was saying, like you know, there there's not many tube lines in South London because it's all clay and they all, they all collapsed, right? There's yeah. like kind of one major one is like the there's well there's two there's, there's northern line and there's the the um victoria line um there's, there's a couple of other small ones but but basically um i remember him saying to me he goes he, he wouldn't take the tube right he's like no i'm not taking the tube i'm like how come and he goes well i just see stuff on the tube all the time and he said it says mostly you're a lot i'm like what do you mean he's like well irish, irish. yeah mm-hmm. irish workers who dug the tunnels right you know yeah exactly uh, yeah um, but when he moved in, um, actually a whole bunch of weird stuff started happening. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. yeah, I had. Um, it's, it becomes the battery. I haven't been able to wear batteries since I was anything with batteries since I was eight years old. Right. Like, because that's another thing that often happens to people who are natural mediums is that, you know, you're not only the battery, but you're also able to, or spirits able to kind of like move through you and drain whatever right. battery is there. So like, laptops i might get three months out of them before they constantly just have to be plugged in they can't battery my own phone i try not to keep it Mm. on me it has to be plugged in a lot you know those kind of things yeah um but yeah so and most of the time those people don't realize that they are making it happen because like you said your your friend might not have described themselves as a medium Mm. And one of the things that I tell people is there's a difference between ability and skill. Yeah. So yeah. ability is what we're innately born with mm. and skill is what we develop. And so a lot more people have ability. And so they're the ones who are like, well, I'm not doing this. And it's like, well, you are. And if you have ability, depending on how much ability you have, like in myself, I couldn't not have spirit contact. Yeah. I didn't want it. I didn't have a choice. You know, I spent most of my 20s just trying to figure out how to mentally and emotionally survive as a person who could read other people all the time. And, you know, so it's hard. And if somebody's having that experience, getting some kind of education, I tell people, is the difference between, I use the example that if we're out in the middle of nowhere and I get hurt and you have to drive me to the hospital you will do it regardless of if you know how to drive a car or not. Yeah. But if you know how to drive a car, we're, our chances of getting there safely have improved greatly. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference is the person who's having it happen to them in opposed to, you know, the person who is in the driver's seat like myself. And I have a pretty normal life, you know, like spirit don't get to, I might still see them when I'm in the grocery store, but it's like I see a lot of humans in the grocery store I don't have to talk to as well. I've learned how to have like 
yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And what does that um how do the how do those boundaries express themselves? Like I like I I've I've had some some previous guests in the shows with with similar um similar kind of areas yourselves who are literally quite like quite abrasive with spirits going like no go away yeah yeah um i actually have a spirit that i call my doorman i used to own a bar um i owned a bar when i was in my 20s and so the doorman is the person at the bar who says you can come in you Mm -hmm. can't i'll pass the message for you you need to go away and so I have worked with a doorman, a spirit doorman for the last 20 years, which means that spirits um, don't get to just bother me. I don't right. get woken up at three o'clock in the morning anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a very firm believer that I will never go up to somebody and pass a message to them without them asking me. Yeah. Okay. So, Mm-hmm. that's you know there's a medium in the united states who's known for doing that and i'm like you know that's a in my opinion that's a show that is meant to in many ways to startle people but the reality of it is is that that's also incredibly insensitive you don't know if that person's mentally capable of accepting that information at that time um and i do have a great story that i did a seance once where this family at the end, they asked me, how can a spirit get you to talk to their living loved ones? And I said, they have to convince their loved ones to call me. I won't Mm -hmm. call them. Mm -hmm. And so this is where it gets really interesting. About a month later, I did a seance for a person, a family, and the woman said, I have to tell you how I heard about you. And she said that she got a message on her cell phone that was meant for somebody else. And it was a woman talking to her friend and talking about how she had gone to see me. Okay. And so that was enough for the woman. But then the next day she got a woman, a message from the woman it was intended for replying to her friend, telling her that she also had been to see me. So they got their own messages, but somehow their messages, both of them got dumped into this other person's voicemail. That's spirit. So I'm always like, if spirit really wants the communication, then it's up to them to kind of give their loved ones signs. And they have done some crazy things, you know, like there it's and electronics are actually really in many ways helpful because, you know, like I can run my hand over the top of my iPhone sometimes and not even touch it and it will turn on. Just from energy. And I know it's not just me, it just happens sometimes. Yeah. So that makes it a lot easier for a spirit that doesn't have a physical, tangible being to manipulate. Right. Right. Uh, that's, that's that's incredible. You know, I I so do, do do spirits really have this kind of um like ability to manipulate electronics? Right. Some of them. My dad was a had some psychic ability of his own. When he died, he'd also spent a year and a half, two years with me and my sister. My dad was a Vietnam vet, so he, when he was young, he had too much damage. He was an alcoholic, um, mm. and he avoided a lot of things. But in the later part of his life, he stepped into his gifts. So he had practiced so many things. When he died, he was doing things like turning people's windshield wipers on. He moved my keys across my table. Mm. He, you know, like everybody was having experiences for my dad because 
My dad had spent time in life mm. learning about those things. So he was better at it. But that time right after we die also in many ways is when most people have experiences with the dead. Yeah. And that's because they still have all of this kind of like life force that they can utilize. And there's all the people who are thinking about them that are, you know, really also kind of like pumping that energy out for them to be able to use. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking about thinking about um, the dead, uh, like you, you have, um, uh, you, you've got a, a interesting section in your book where you talk about kind of ancestral altars and, and um, honoring the, <laughs> the, the beloved dead. Can you, can you talk to that? Sure. Um, the beloved dead are family, friends, loved ones, ancestors, spirit guides. They are, and that's the spirits that I primarily work with. So um, they're the family, they're the loved ones that we miss. And, you know, I personally think that we're living in a time where most people are spiritually starving, that we don't, you know, like as we've stepped away from traditional religion, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. We've been, there's a void that's been left where people don't know how to process. Mm -hmm. And we also, you know, especially I'm from the United States. So we homogenized what it looked like to be an American in the 1950s in which we did it through television. Um, And I'm sure the UK is not much different as far as like, okay, this is what we are going to be like, here's your image. And in that, we lost a lot of our ethnic traditions that were around death and dying, like our, you know, um, our ability to honor our family members. Um, so in my family, we kept those alive and we always talked about our dead. We invited them to our family gatherings. I knew who my great uncles and stuff were that I never met. Um, Even if I wasn't a medium, other family members would still have that. They'd have that knowledge. And one of the things that really helps is, you know, we need to we need to have a living relationship with our dead, which means a way of still being able to interact with them without only thinking about their illness or their end of life Mm -hmm. and which we make space for them. One of the easiest ways to do that is to create an ancestor altar, which could just be the top of a dresser or a windowsill, a top of a bookshelf. And we put memorabilia and pictures of our loved ones who have passed. And you can interact with that. You know, one of the things I often advise is that you spend time with that altar on a regular basis, much in the same way that we would a gravestone. But the reality of it is our modern culture, most of us don't live near the graves of our ancestors anymore. You know, Mm. you said you were Irish and that you're living in England, so you're not going to be able to go to the family graveyard, you know? Very true. But, But you can put up a space in your house because the reason why a graveyard even works is that when we pull into a cemetery, we stop worrying about the ridiculous things of life, you know, like the, and we really focus on what we want to bring to the table because we know we're going in to solemnly connect with someone we love. And we might still bring our heavy problems to talk to our mom or our grandfather or our spouse, 
but we're not going to be like, and Susan said this day at lunchtime, and I feel left out of the circle. You know what I mean? We're going to be really, we're going to be approaching the situation as if it's a sacred endeavor. Mm-hmm. And we can do the same thing in our own homes. And it can be fun, you know, like when you're having a family um you know, gathering, just having space for your beloved dead in it adds to it. There's a lot of my clients who have had altars set up at their weddings, you know, because a family member, maybe a parent was dead and it really was hard for them not to have their parent at their wedding. So they made space for them. So these are ways that we can start to form a living relationship with our dead, especially if we make a point of like, putting a little candle on that altar and spending five minutes with it in the morning. You know, if your mom was a big tea, tea in the morning person or coffee in the morning person, then have it with her, you know? And I tell people like, when you're deciding where you want to put that altar, ask yourself, you know, if your mom, if it's really dedicated to your mom and she always talked sitting at the kitchen table, then put the altar in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Instead, you know, you got a big family room that everybody used for holidays and was special that you gathered there, then that might be the perfect place. But every family can be different in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I I know a lot of the kind of the listeners to this show um, have a varied kind of level of, uh, of say kind of um, magical experience, um, you know, having kind of a, a an ancestor altar is 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 certainly kind of one of those things that's kind of foundational for yes, um, nearly kind of every strand of of kind of a cult practitioner. You know, um, yeah, yeah, um, and I and I like that idea of um, the the kind of the the paraphernalia, the kind of the the things that they would have liked, uh, would have liked in their life. Uh, yeah yeah they really like that they love they love to have stories told about them Mm -hmm. they love food and drink and smoke and they don't really consume those things but Mm -hmm. you know it's more of an energetic offering so i always do tell Mm -hmm. people yes you need to clean it off and put in the garbage or the compost after a day you know don't just leave it there they're not actually eating it but they have this deep remembrance of how much maybe they loved a particular mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we partake, that's another way that we can do it too. Maybe we can partake of it and think of them. So mm-hmm. maybe um, like, I'm not a smoker, but my dad was. Yeah. So if I'm standing around a campfire or something, I might take a couple of drags off a cigarette. Yeah. I joke I'm one of the only people I know who buys cigarettes to put them on my altar not to because i have a habit yeah. what i mean but it's yeah. it's a way of honoring them mm-hmm. and sometimes i'll just light it and i'll just stand there and i'll talk about my dad and it's yeah. a way of saying okay i'm giving you mm-hmm. this offering mm-hmm. I, i'm very interested in the idea of of offerings i mean it's part of my daily practice as mm-hmm. well you know um and but the idea of like what spirits get from offerings, you know, particularly offerings of, of like, you know, as you say, kind of a food, a drink, of of, of ex- human experiential stuff. Yes. You know? Um, and I offer that to to my ancestors, and I offer it to kind of say the spirits that I work with that are not human, you know, right. or never have been human, rather. 
Um, yeah. Like, because you mentioned that kind of how they consume them in an energetic way, or I'm paraphrasing there. Mm-hmm. So, but, well, what does that what does that mean from your perspective? Well, I mean that they sit in the energy of it. Right. So it's kind of like, so I have a lot of food allergies and I can't do like, so basically like a thing in the United States is ice cream stands in the summertime. There's tons of them. Right. And then I will sometimes drive by an ice cream stand and I like will say to my husband, like, I'm going to have, and I'll just like, I'm going to have this Sunday and I'm going to have a sugar cone. I'm going to have all these things. And he's like, why do you do that? You know, like, you know, and I've learned that from spirit that they truly enjoy the memory of something. In some ways, they can step deep, memorable experiences of those things, you know. So if it was their favorite chocolate bar, um, they are able to perceive of the energetic value of it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're, you're back now. There you go. Um, that that makes that's really interesting. Um, yeah. And we may we may have touched on on this a little bit with the kind of the the timeout bit, but what is the, what is the gray? The gray is different than timeout. The gray is the time period in which a person is actively dying, and it carries over crossed into death for some people under certain certain circumstances but most of the time if a spirit's talking about somebody being the gray it means that they're usually within about a year to a year and a half of their passing and that's if it's a lot less than that usually tell me you know um but the gray is a time period that they're in that betwixt and between of dying so for somebody who's already died to be in the gray, chances are they had some kind of cognitive problem at the end of death, whether it was, you know, dementia or whether um, my guide, Adam, he died from malaria. So he was hallucinating at the end of his life before he crossed over. And he um, didn't know he was dead for a short amount of time until his grandfather came to get him. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's an example of being in the gray yeah. But most people who are in the gray, it's when they are actively dying. And the way that spirits describe it is very similar to when to pregnancy. It looks different, but like when we are, you know, when somebody's pregnant, we are expecting another human being to come into our world. And we have physical signs that show us that this is happening. And when someone's in the gray, there is also physical signs that they are getting ready to pass because they become more tangible in the spirit world, which means right. that they have more presence in the spirit world. They will also usually during the time that they're in the gray, they are going to have a higher likelihood of having spirit experiences themselves. You know, they'll often talk about seeing a loved one who's passed um as well as caretakers of people who are in the gray may also find that they're having more spiritual experiences much in the same way that somebody living in the same house as a medium would mm. yeah i mean so being in the gray creates a, another energetic 
my um my mum's a twin and um when her her twin sister was very very ill when i think she was about like seven or eight i think the story is but um her twin sister she was given the last rites and my mum was in with her along with her family uh when she was given the last rites but she saw um she saw her her deceased grandparents kind of up in the in the in the kind of the corner of the room um beckoning my auntie on saying like you know come on it's okay you know um but you know she 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 survived but my mom and mom some people do have those experiences yeah. yeah Yeah, and then you're right, more people will have. um, So in the United States, I don't know if this is something that's happening in the UK, but we have a growing um, people who are, you know, in many ways, kind of like um, spiritual people who are trained, whether they're doing it for their own family or whether they're doing it in hospice situations, but they are, you know, they are working that more normal and sacred. And that's something that a lot of people who take that kind of training or people who work in hospice will often talk about how after a while of being in their career, they start to have more spirit activity. And it's because they're working with people who are at that point where they're in the gray and the veil between the living and the dead is really thin around them. Okay. That's, that's extraordinary. The, the idea of the gray, I haven't heard of that before, Um, but it makes so much sense. I thought that it was something that was completely like made up, you know, or not made up, but sometimes I'm like, well, am I the only person using this word? Yeah. And, the first time I met my friend Orion Foxwood, who is, teaches oh, yeah. fairy seership, you know Orion. I do Orion, yeah, yeah. He, he's um, okay. he's got a chapter in in, in my book. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so yeah. I've traveled with Orion, and the first time I met Orion was actually through death. So when I wrote about Brigia's good death in mm-hmm. my book, which is the person who died from mm-hmm. um, death with dignity assisted suicide. Orion was one of the people who was there. And that was the first time I met Orion. And we were sitting in a kitchen talking and I said something about the gray. And he also used that word growing up. Now, Orion and I are both from different ends of the Appalachian Mountains, okay? So like I'm from the North and he's from the South, but um, we both have similar background as far as we have, you know, um, the teachings of the Appalachians are really mixed highly with Scotch-Irish and Native American. So while my Native American was Blackfoot instead of Cherokee, which is most common in the Southern Appalachians, um, our teachings were really similar. We found, and I actually identify a lot now that like Appalachian witchcraft is really more notable. I can look at any of that stuff and be like, this is just like what I learned growing up. Because, you know, same ancestry. Do you know what I mean? So it's like his influence was the same. But he also had his had been introduced to um, that time as being called the gray, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It really is. Um, I love the way you described it, though, as as like. That kind of um, analogous to pregnancy. Yeah. Like. uh, Yeah. 
which which makes sense you know like a almost in like that kind of the fractal sense like a, as the body builds the, the 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 physical presence becomes more um present in the material yeah. world and then the opposite happens at the other end that makes total sense yeah well in shamanism the two most important roles of the shaman are birth and death right. you know and actually i've met a ton of labor and delivery nurses who have gone into hospice you know who really? when they change their career they usually go into the other end they go into working in death um so and i've had work in both um i think i've been present in like probably 10 births Fine. you know and i've been present in multiple deaths um and i find that the energy in both both times is very similar it's very like um time gets weird it gets stretched out it gets mm. compressed it gets our senses are heightened we're you know in this almost strangely euphoric state mm. That happens for people who are witnessing either death or birth. So there's so many similarities as we're coming in and leaving this physical plane. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is strange. I remember the, like the birth of my 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 first child, and well, I remember the birth of both my children. But in particular, like my 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 first child, that it it's almost like um, trying to remember like a, a like a like a drunken night time is so weird and kind of like yes. patchy like it's very strange you know uh, yeah. like, so i like the word weird a lot yeah. and i like to spell it w-y-r-d so weird which is the root word of w-e-i-r-d mm. means w-y-r-d means connected to fate so mm. we do this all the time we'll be like that was weird and i'm like yeah it was weird it's connected to fate you just had a moment that was bigger than normal so mm. i also like to say that like supernatural is still natural mm. it's just mm. a supersized version of it so like you know if you have supersized order of fries you're still eating fries mm -hmm. but with a supernatural experience you're having a heightened natural experience you are experiencing the world with your your um, ability to perceive information turned way up and that's the difference. It's not that, I mean, people have been communicating and honoring their ancestors since the beginning of time, you know, but as we moved through religious dogma, and then I do believe the, um, I do believe the consumerization of culture, you know, when television started telling us what we should want need believe we let go of a lot of spiritual things that we might have experienced yeah yeah because it wasn't being shown as being normal in mm. our idea of what it meant to be a modern person living in this world yeah i i i think that makes an awful lot of sense and i, I think you're entirely accurate with that i mean i remember um i don't know where i read this but i think i remember hearing and and I think an Irish historian talk about how actually the advent of satellite TV in Ireland in the 
90s was probably more devastation to Irish culture than 800 years of 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 um, English or British invasion um, in terms of wiping out the nuances of of that culture you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, I went to Iceland in 2015 and when I was there a Dunkin Donuts opened okay like mm. it was crazy because you know I mean there's Dunkin' Donuts on every corner in the United States, just like a Starbucks. But there was a line of people outside the Dunkin' Donuts and they had to have bouncers. People wanted that, you know, America. But you know what? Yeah. It's no longer there. Six right. years or seven years and it was gone because they realized yeah. that it actually was crap. Yeah. You know, but but it was the hype of wanting this thing that you've seen 700 commercials for in the exactly. last months. How many movies and shows that you you think are great and exactly you know you you, you want to kind of try that stuff? Um, yeah, I remember well, the first time I was in America, I tried a Twinkie. And yeah, like, this yeah. is awful. Like we have horrible food. Thing? Yeah. We have horrible food. <laughs> it's like why is Some anybody our, eating this? If it's we disgusting. look at our list of ingredients that are acceptable in the United States yeah. compared to people, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really bad yeah mm-hmm. oh, i agree yeah one of the things that i kind of talk about with uh, i have a, a a small group of people who um support this podcast um and get kind of their longer version of, of of the shows and one of the things um that i talk about an awful lot is where you can kind of grow your own food or be close yeah. to you know um i said even if it's just a potted plant of mint you know, yeah, have that mint tea. It's like it, it has a different type of energy, and that yeah. you know, ultimately, like um, talking about connecting with kind of say non-human spirits. Mm-hmm. What I found that was what my second book was about. <laughs> oh right, yeah, okay. <laughs> but what what I found is that the kind of um, working with that stewardship of place, working with um, the land. Uh, that I've just started to 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 hear the spirits of the land, you know. Yeah, yeah. I live in Vermont. Is one of the most we have one of the lowest population densities in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I live about forty minutes from Canada, actually, okay. and it is really most people have you know like I own sixteen and a half acres of land, wow. and yeah, and I have like stone temples on my property and stuff that the stone came from my land and um you know those are one of the benefits of living rurally is that yes you can grow your own things you can pick things you can you know and vermont is very much a more um liberal and also a more agricultural like we are known for um being like foodies and we have a lot of distilleries a lot of breweries a lot of cannabis farms like we we're pretty much we do a lot of creation of our own food yeah it's 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 so important Mm -hmm. it really is it is and i think that you know that even goes in when we're talking about working with our ancestors 
one of the things I tell people is that if you're, you know, go back to that ancestor altar, if you do decide you're going to garden or put in the potted plant, that's a way that you can work with your ancestors. You can say, you know, my grandmother could grow anything. I remember my grandmother being able to turn over a pitchfork of soil and just all these worms and night crawlers would come to the top of the surface. Her soil was that good. So, you know, I'm not a great gardener, but I, when I am growing, something that's what I think about is I welcome her like okay I might not be that great at this but you know if you want to help me out um so those are simple ways that you know we definitely can work with our ancestors and with the elemental spirits as well yeah yeah Yeah, definitely definitely I I think it's wonderful wonderful stuff you know Uh, I've got a huge amount from it you know and not to mention that it's just really nice to do it's actually good for us to like energetically, mm-hmm. you know, it helps us to ground out in this, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about like maybe Wi-Fi being one of the worst things that happened. The first time I went to Ireland in 2013, the only way place that I could even get access to the internet um, was by going to the library. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that changed by when I went back in 2017, they definitely right. got more, but um I think that, you know, the more disconnected we are, the more disconnected we feel from our our ancestors as well. Mm -hmm. Like we can have a glut of technology and technology by itself isn't bad, but we need to have those quiet times, too, that maybe is working in the soil or soaking in the tub or walking in the woods um, where we are open to hearing and feeling our ancestors because one of the things I like to explain to people is that spirit communication is kind of like a two-way mirror like a police mirror Mm -hmm. in which the spirits of our beloved dead or or the spirits themselves are on the side of the police officer that can see into our world so they're looking in they can see you they can hear you but they can't necessarily get you to see or hear them Mm -hmm. where the living we might sometimes be like i feel like something's there but i can't quite see it i you know i'm getting this sense and a medium is the person who can't the crop that can go between the rooms and say this is what they're saying over there okay so it gives people an understanding that even when we don't have the strongest ability to perceive that doesn't mean that our spirits aren't watching over us or that they're not there oh fantastic really really um really got an awful lot from this conversation sally um and for anybody who wants to find out more about your work or perhaps book a reading with you how would they go about doing so sure they can do it through my website which is sallycrow.com and my name is spelled s-a-l-i-c-r-o-w.com so sally s-a-l-i crow like the bird c-r-o-w.com and i have a whole list of different kinds of services that people can do i also am a prolific blogger so there's a lot of free reading on my website um as well as you know, media offerings and different things like that. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for for talking to us in the Spirit Box. Thank you for having me.
Thank you very much, Sally Crow. That was a fantastic conversation and one I, I got an awful lot from, and I'm sure many of you will as well. I certainly want to kind of add a bit of depth to my own ancestor work. Um, it's really helped focus my mind in that area. If you want to find out more about Sally's work, then do check the links below and give her a shout. Uh, it's a great book, really good book, so do, do check that out. Right, that's it for me. I'm Dara Mason. You've been listening to The Spirit Box. Take care and talk soon.